You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. The podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. I'm your host, Ebony Vines. And I'm your host, Pamela Shandro. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Theater Geeks Anonymous podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Thank, Thank you. Woo! Woo! <laughs> I don't know. That's like my woohoo, except 2022 version. Woo! 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 Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a good episode yeah. of my favorite murder yes, where they're talking is. about that because like as soon as she said it i knew exactly what yeah. she was talking about i can't George, whistle either i know well i can i can whistle pretty well can, i cannot <laughs> i'm a wheat wooer you're a wheat wooer uh if you all don't know what we're talking about my favorite murder is another podcast. It's fantastic. It's a comedy murder mm. podcast, so it's a little bit sensitive for people that are tr- are easily triggered by that stuff. Yeah. But it's we find it very funny yeah. because the two hosts, Georgia and Karen, are very funny yeah. and also very engaging. But mm-hmm. as when they're talking to each other in the podcast, much like Ebony and I are right now, <laughs> they'll have these kind of conversations. And one of the conversations was actually in the process of telling a murder story. But mm-hmm. Georgia was saying that the person that she was talking about in the story heard a wee woo. <laughs> <laughs> Karen just was kind of playing along at first, yeah. but then we realized, wait a minute, are you are you trying to like is that a whistle like that yeah. was an actual whistle <laughs> she's like yeah i can't whistle though so i just say wheat woo <laughs> but who doesn't know what you're talking about That's when you right. say wheat woo mm-hmm. that you're talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it. it makes me so happy <laughs> anywho just plug another podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we do that a lot. But I, I feel like other podcasts I listen to do that as well. Well, you know what? That is that is true to life. Yeah. Because if you're excited about something, you want to share it with people, even if it's not going to, you know, give you any kind of a gain. Yeah. We don't do yeah. things for gain. 
No, just because it's fun. <laughs> you just started listening. We don't do things for gain. But if you've been listening for a while, you know, we don't do things for no. gain. We do this because we love it. We love yeah. talking about theater. It's cathartic. I've got this weird like little baby curl kind of <laughs> sticking. Out. I just saw a video of my like in my, in the video. <laughs> I'm all over the place today. <laughs> this should be fun. Okay, well, you have to start about, us. I know. I will start you. But first, okay. I want to tell you what I ate for lunch today. Okay. Because it okay. was so good, and it was just recent, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm still kind of tasting it. So I like to get a lot of stuff at Costco, like a lot of frozen stuff and yeah. pantry goods at Costco because it lasts longer, and I don't have to do shopping but, like, once a month. Yeah. Um, except for, like, the perishable items, and that mm -hmm. I can just do going to the grocery store or, like, getting, you know, a shop right delivery or whatever or yeah. stop and shop, whatever. Anyway, so I've got these and I've had them before, but I haven't had them for a very long time. Salmon burgers. Okay. Oh, I think yeah. it's really just like salmon, onion, garlic, maybe like there's not a lot of filler in these little mm -hmm. patties. It's mostly salmon, but the flavor. That sounds so I, good. Yeah. I had that and I just mixed it up in a bowl of cilantro lime rice. It was really good. That sounds really good. Yeah, it was good. I'm I I'm gonna I bought a couple of cans of salmon, and my my mom and grandmother used to be really good at. I mean, they were great at crab cakes, mm. but then they were really good at salmon cakes yeah. too. Um, and so that they used to just make, especially in the summer, we'd have lots and lots of crab cakes, fresh crab. And then um, I think salmon my cake. mom was actually bigger on the salmon cakes thing. So See, I, you know what? And had that in such a long I time. I love crab, but yeah. the flavor of crab is lost to me in a crab cake. In a crab cake, it becomes much more about the other ingredients, but mm. salmon, because it's so much of a forward flavor, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you cannot dismiss it when you're eating it in a cake form. Yeah. Like it's, it's really good. So mm -hmm. that, I think I'm with your mom on that. Yeah. She, she, I mean, I think too, the salmon was just like more readily available. Like my grandmother sure. had, I'll never forget being a kid. And it sounds like we were going for drugs, but I tell you, we weren't, I swear we weren't. I, I remember being a kid in the back seat of a car and we would drive up to this woman's house in Baltimore. And like, in my head, I still remember like these staircases that to me look really tall. Yeah. And into this big house and this black lady would come out with these tubs of crab <laughs> and she would give them to my grandmother. And that's what my grandmother would use to make her crab cakes. But I think it was because it was fresh and they take forever to like pick out. Right. Yeah. And my grandmother just didn't have the time to do that. So she yeah. knew this lady who was probably somebody she knew from church or yeah. a church person who knew a church person, something like that. Right. And, and, um, and that's how, that's what she would most of the time make them with. And then of that's course, amazing. my uncle would buy the bushels and that's when we would have them fresh with the corn yeah. they picked from the farm. Oh, and they just <laughs> pour it on the table covered in newspaper and uh -huh. oh, go to town. I yep, love it. Old Bay hammers. Oh, yep. yum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sounds delightful. <laughs> yeah. There is nothing better than steamed corn with Old Bay. <laughs> Nothing better. No, Old Bay is majestic. It's so it's good. It's one of the best spices <laughs> in the world. Now, I also am a fan of Tony Sachery's 
um, his he's got like a spicy kind of Cajun seasoning that I'm also real like I really love it. It's spicy, but it's good. I like spicy. Yeah, I have to try it. Yeah, that sounds good. I've got it. So if you want to borrow some, ooh, that sounds good. Okay. Where do you pick it up around here? Berry Fresh um, Trade Fair? You know what? I didn't get it here. I bought it okay. when we were, I mean, either in Illinois or like when we were on vacation in Alabama. Um, mm. But yeah, I feel like it's a grocery store item. Okay. It comes in a green canister mm-hmm. with a little, like it's got the picture of Tony Sachery. It's, mm-hmm. it looks like C-H-A-C-H-E-R-R-I-E apostrophe S, like Trotcheries, okay. but it's Sachery. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a Cajun name, <laughs> which I suppose you could also say French because that is where Cajun came from. And that yeah. was not Cajun. That was like more Jamaican. That was a terrible accent. I don't even know what that was. <laughs> I can't even place it. And I'm going to leave it in because <laughs> I'm all about showing my words. <laughs> wow. But it's good. Yeah, I'll let you loan. I'll okay. I'll let you loan some. I'll let you borrow some. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, so I'm gonna do the first episode today. I know, but you didn't do your famous thing that you do. That's what I've been waiting for. Welcome. There it is. That was beautiful. That came out. That was like all I had to do was open my mouth, and it poured out of me. It was a strong one. That was a strong one. It was. Welcome, theater geeks. What's up? Welcome. What is up? (laughs) What is up? (laughs) You know, you know, it's Theater Geeks Anonymous. I mean, you clicked on it. It's the only way to, you know, click on things. You can't get here by accident. No, no. Nope. So we have this week's a regular, this is a regular run, you know, episode. How we do. We've got a couple that are coming up that are going to be regulars, unless something really exciting happens in the news and then we'll do another intermission. But as at at this point, besides the fact that Leah Michelle is out with COVID, <laughs> wah, wah. that was a real. I'm sorry, but how and why? Like this well, is what I don't. Nobody's wearing masks anymore. But the rest of the cast is still in. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, no, I shouldn't say that because heard... actually there was a handful of people that were yeah, out, and that's there's what I there's a little bit of controversy as far as that goes too, because they brought in a woman to play, I believe, Fanny, Mrs. Bryce, mm-hmm. uh, to Tova cover. Oh, to cover uh, no, Tova. To cover her. her. Um, and she had to be on book for the first performance, maybe even a couple of the performances, right? And that was all fine and dandy. Like she did great, right? But the uproar, I guess if you can call it that is, and it's not even an uproar. It's just like a silent disappointment that's finally being voiced. Mm-hmm. Is that these creatives and these people that are in charge never think ahead. They never have this idea of like, oh, what should we do in case this happens? And so Mm -hmm. then they expect for these swings to just do it over and over and over and over and over again. And it's like, you know what? You've got half the cast out with COVID. Let's just call it a show and we'll open again when we're back. Do you know what I mean? It's like... but they don't want to do that. They just want to kind of work, work people into the ground and then replace them when they need to. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. a little, little frustration that's going on in the acting community right now. Yes. It's valid. <laughs> it's very yeah. valid. Yeah, it is. And there's not, cause listen, 
we know that people are talented enough to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that. We're saying that they shouldn't have to. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And that (sighs) is my two cents. (laughs) If you would like another two cents. I just was I wiggling mean, my eyebrows. We haven't even gone to the big announcement, but we'll do that oh. at the end of the episode. Okay. What's the, the one you texted me about? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about it now? No, let's do it at the okay. end. Yeah, yeah. I don't want the dogs <laughs> to start barking, so that's probably a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, it's my turn today, and I'm going to talk about Fields of Ambrosia. I don't remember. <laughs> I have no living clue what in the world this is even about. You're probably not alone. Um, let me. Ambrosia oh. is a green dessert. <laughs> oh, dear. With marshmallows, pistachios, pistachio <laughs> pudding, and green jello. Well, there was something. fluff or uh, cool whip. That's ambrosia was the food of the gods. If you want to like go back into like Greek. Okay. Greek writing. Mm-hmm. So at, at some point in the 1950s, they thought that the food of the gods should be jello, marshmallows, cool whip. <laughs> and Pistachio all of, like, pudding. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And just a bunch of really disgusting things put together into a mold and then eaten. Mm-hmm. I don't think of jello or pudding as dessert. That's just part of the meal itself. <laughs> but <laughs> Or like a side dish. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, no, I mean, that that sounds truly disgusting to me. <laughs> I think in terms of what the title of this show represents is kind of someone's idea of what heaven is or okay. what it should be for someone. Because I was like, otherwise it's fields of green dessert. Right. <laughs> it's jello as far as the eye can see. <laughs> Dotted with marshmallows. In the shape of flowers. And they're frolicking amongst the pistachios. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> and like sometimes people would put like fruit in there. Yeah. Gross. I'm just uh-huh, no. like pineapple. Yeah. Right. Huh. <laughs> cherries like not even Oof. good cherries but like maraschino cherries yeah. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. I don't Oof. even think you can consider maraschino cherries real cherries no I don't even, where did maraschino cherries come from and why mm-hmm. like they do they have no place <laughs> I don't know <laughs> we have gone off the rails but this is fun <laughs> so um okay so starting out with my references I've got uh, a website called aisle.com. Aisle is spelled like a running down the aisle, like an oh. aisle of a church. Okay. Aisle.com. Uh, Wikipedia, of course, that was mm-hmm. my main source. I've got IBDB, IMDB, and just a whole other assortment of others that I will mention along the way. Ooh, IMDB. Mm, that yeah. means there's a movie something. How did you guess? <laughs> <laughs> So The Fields of Ambrosia is a musical written by Joel Higgins and Martin Silvestri. It was performed in the George Street Playhouse in New Brunswick, New Jersey in 1993, and it was directed by Gregory Hurst, choreographed by Lynn Taylor Corbett, staged by Hurst, and set design by Dar- uh, excuse me, Deborah Jason. Jason? 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 I don't know. Anyway. 
The cast included Christine Andreas as Gretchen Hertzollerliebst. It's a German name. Hopefully I don't have to say that again. Actually, mm-hmm. I do a couple of times, but Did it's you cool. Can you just say Herb? Hertzollerliebst. Hertz? Hertzollerliebst. Hertzollerliebst. Which part is the last name? That's the last name. Oh. So her first name is Gretchen. Okay. Her so last just name her is Hertzollerliebst. Okay. <laughs> It's fun. It's fun to say once you get it. <laughs> Gretchen. Uh, mm-hmm. Higgins, Joel Higgins as Jonas Candide, Peter Samuel as Warden Brodsky, and Eddie Korbich, or Korbick, I'm not exactly how to say his last name, mm-hmm. as the mortician. Okay. Jimmy is also uh, the name of the mortician. The 1996 production premiered at the Aldwych Theatre in London and was directed by Hearst again with Mark Warman as the musical director and the cast that included Andreas as Gretchen, Higgins as Jonas Candide, Michael Fenton Stevens as Doc, Mark Heenahan as Malcolm Picant, uh, Mark Joseph as Jimmy Crawford, Roger Leach as Warden Brodsky. Okay, that show closed only after 23 performances. The musical is based on the 1970 film, The Traveling Executioner. This is why I went into IMDb. The New York Times said The Fields of Ambrosia is a black comedy and contains violence, sex, romance, and sentiment. I don't know why that's the last one listed. That's so strange. Yeah. It takes place in a deep rural town in America South in 1918. Now, Ebony, if you were paying attention, you may have heard me mention the same name three times. Joel Higgins. Yeah. He co-wrote it. He starred in the New Jersey production and again starred in London as Jonas Candide. Joel Higgins was born in Bloomington, Illinois. Oh, wow. I'm so glad we gave you this show. I know. I didn't even know this until I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, my hometown. So cool. cool. He was living there a lot earlier than I did. Although from the information, because he's still alive at this point, he's 78 years old. I don't know where he is within Illinois, but I believe he's still in the Midwest and I think Illinois. So probably like the Chicagoland area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was born September 28th, 1943. And in 1973, he landed the role of Vince in the first national tour of Greece. In 75, he won the Theater World Award for his role in the Broadway version of Shenandoah. Mm. In the same year, he began the role of Bruce Carson in the CBS soap opera Search for Tomorrow. And in the following year, he returned to Broadway for Music Is. In 1978, Higgins was featured in the role of Ben Gant in the Broadway musical Angel. And I've actually, there's a couple of shows that I came across in my research today that I've added to our list. Yeah, I mean, like a bunch of those you mentioned, I was like, no, I don't know what that is. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, And so while the show, uh, Angel, while that show only ran for five nights, Higgins received a Drama Desk Award nomination for his performance in it. Higgins made the transition from daytime to primetime in 1979 with a starring role in the short-lived ABC television series Salvage One with Andy Griffith. Two years later, I know, he starred in the ABC sitcom Best of the West. Higgins signed to star in a new NBC series, Silver Spoons. Do you remember that one? Of course. (laughs) Playing Edward W. Stratton III, the childlike son of one of the country's richest industrialists. In the show's opening, he learned he has a 12-year-old son played by Ricky Schroeder. The product of his first marriage on the series ran from 82 to 87. I used to watch that. Me too. I feel like I used to watch that all the time. Yeah, me too. 
I remember the opening where he's like riding in the train all the way through his mansion. It's yes. weird. Yeah, like <laughs> the things you remember <laughs> when you're less than seven years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the first four seasons were uh, aired on NBC and the fifth and final uh, in first run syndication. So, and that was Silver Spoons. There's a lot. He's kind of jumping all over the place. He's got like a 40 year career span here. It's amazing. Yeah. And it, it runs the gamut of theater and TV and movies. He also wrote a bunch of jingles and theme songs. He He's went- like Jim Dale. Jim Dale <laughs> yes. is like that. Yes, very much so. Um, he, it says he continued to perform throughout the nineties and the two thousands, but like mm-hmm. he was in, she loves me at music center in Los Angeles. He did Oklahoma on Broadway back in the eighties. Like, so it wouldn't have been the, oh, the first one. It would have been the first revival of that. Um, he's done stuff at the Muni in St. Louis. Uh, let's see, uh, the Fox theater in Atlanta, Starlight in Kansas city. And he returned to Broadway in 1991 and 92 to star as stone and Stein in city of angels. Oh yeah. Martin Silvestri who co-wrote it with Joel Higgins. (laughs) I couldn't find a lot about him. There's like literally like this man should have an enormous page on Wikipedia. Because I feel like we've mentioned him in another show. We have. And I can't remember what that show was. But like I had to kind of find all of these little bits and pieces from all over the place to kind Mm -hmm. of put him together. Mm -hmm. Um, The theater related information includes musical arrangements that he's made for both Broadway and national tours. So like he made musical arrangements for Josephine, the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And like, and just a couple of other ones that were listed that I didn't write down on IMDb. There are some credits listed from the 1980s. And I did see that he was married to Christine Andreas who starred in the fields of Ambrosia, as well as a bunch of other musicals. She's still really, uh, uh, hard hitting in like touring with music and stuff oh, like wow. that. She's like, yeah, she's got a bunch of albums. Scarlet Pimpernel, she played, oh, wow. yeah, the the main woman lead mm-hmm. along with my Terrence Mann. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was one of my favorites. And also, this I got a kick out of. Her role as Alice in Legs Diamond was removed during previews. Okay, I I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I remember that. That show was wow. Yeah. (laughs) We should like go back and do a recap of some of these episodes because I feel like they're all kind of coming up now again Mm -hmm. as we're doing these these older musicals. Mm -hmm. So this, as I mentioned before, is based on The Traveling Executioner which is a uh, movie. So I'm fascinated when I'm reading about the reference material that authors use when they write musicals Mm -hmm. and the traveling executioner is no exception. This was a 1970 American uh, comedy drama film directed by Jack Smite and starring Stacey Keach, Bud Court, Stefan Girash, and Mariana Hill. The plot of this movie is that Jonas Candide, a former carnival showman, travels around the South in 1918 with his own portable electric chair, going from prison to prison with his young assistant, Jimmy, charging $100 per execution. Two of Jonas' potential victims are siblings, Willie, and in this version, it's Gundred Erzaler Liebst. 
They changed okay. that name to Gretchen for the musical, probably okay. a smart choice. Um, while Jonas successfully executes Willie, he falls for Gundred, uh, mm-hmm. hoping to fake her execution. He does, but then things take a dark turn for him. Okay, so that sounds super yeah. interesting. Yeah. That's a film I'd watch, mm-hmm. and that's a story I'd want to read. What could possibly go wrong? Let's dive in together. <laughs> I Before we go on, I yeah. just want to say, before we leave the movie, I just want to say Stacey Keach, patron saint of this podcast, because, oh. because he is the voice of American Greed. Which like started us because of Rebecca. Oh, thank you. I did not actually realize that. Yes. Oh, how funny. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right. So Fields and Vambrosia, <laughs> if I can say the name, was never on Broadway. As okay. I mentioned before, they performed. That's what I, I was like, you yeah. didn't say it. So I, I was know. like, it must have never made. Normally that's the first sentence. Yeah. I'm like it opened on this day, closed on this day. It mm-hmm. had this many previews and performances. I don't have any of that information. Okay. Uh, they performed at the George Street Playhouse in New Brunswick, New Jersey in May of 93. Vague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only reason I even know the month is because there's a New York Times article that was mm-hmm. that had written a review, mm-hmm. which I will reference later. Okay. But there are no dates listed on the internet for that production. And in fact, the only performance dates listed are for the production at the Aldwych Theater in London, which previewed January 22nd, 1996. It opened January 31st, 96, and it closed February 10th, 1997. Oh, no, no, that was still 96. Here's the synopsis. Okay. Act one. A steamy summer morning in the rural deep south of 1918. A gang of prisoners works along the dusty roadway leading to the Fairweather State Prison. Jonas Candide, an ex-carnival barker and con man who is now employed as the state's official traveling executioner, arrives at the prison with his electric chair. He's come to attend to his next clients, Willie and Gretchen Herzallerliebst. (laughs) It gets easier as you go. (laughs) Brother and sister German immigrants who have been convicted of murder. Upon arrival, Jonas learns from the warden that the woman has been granted a short stay while her lawyer tries to convince the governor to commute her sentence. Proceeding with Willie's execution, Jonas demonstrates his unique approach to the job, but something goes wrong. I don't know what goes wrong because they don't tell us in the synopsis, (laughs) (laughs) but something. Happy to put the day's events behind him, Jonas treats Jimmy, the gawky young town mortician who idolizes him, to a night of debauchery at the local whorehouse. Lovely. The next evening, to satisfy his curiosity, Jonas visits Gretchen Herzallerliebst in her cell. He's smitten by her beauty and wit. In return for her favors, Jonas is persuaded to buy her some more time by hiding his chair and convincing the warden that it was stolen. Gretchen's lawyer, not satisfied with that, discovers the hiding place and disables the chair with a fire ax. That's so gross. Like that whole thing is, that whole sentence, that whole paragraph is just gross. Uh, Jonas must take the chair to the local fix-it shop for repair, where the sight of it creates quite a stir among the locals. Unable to stay away, he visits Gretchen again and is seduced even further. This again makes me yeah. angry. Was well, written by a bunch of men. Right. She's not seduced. She's not, I mean, I shouldn't say she isn't seducing him. She's in prison. Yeah. 
<laughs> you can't seduce someone when the power dynamic is not yours. Anywho, gross. Jonas comes up with the plan to save Gretchen. When the chair is ready, he will proceed with her execution, but give her only enough voltage to knock her out. Meanwhile, he will have struck a deal with the dissolute prison doctor to pronounce her dead and persuaded Jimmy to carry her out like a cadaver with no one the wiser. Doc is reluctant, saying that it's too risky and won't work, but Jonas demonstrates his theory on a prison rat, and the doc finally agrees to play his part for a $500 bribe. Jonas vows to somehow raise the money and free Gretchen. Act two. What? Wait. I, yeah, I mi- I did miss. Oh, I'm, I must have. I must have not heard the what was the chair? Oh, he's got an electric chair that he just oh, travels like to along die, with. Like, yeah, to just kill people. in. Yeah, it's like, uh, cool. old, what's the name of the one in Texas? Old. I don't know. Old Sparky, I think is what oh, it's called. That, OK, like yeah, a, that a, like an right. actual electric chair. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, it's gross. It's problematic. <laughs> mm. Mi- at, mi- at minimum. At minimum. Uh, Gretchen takes the mandatory hour of exercise on the prison yard inside a huge wire cage, which protects her from the male prisoners. Jonas arrives and bribes the guard for a moment alone I... with Gretchen. Never hmm. mind. Keep going. <laughs> it, you're going to say something that I know I'm thinking probably. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, Jonas arrives and bribes the guard for a moment alone with Gretchen to let her know of his plan to save her. Jonas springs into action to raise the money to pay Doc. He smuggles the town whores into the prison late at night and posting Jimmy as a lookout turns Doc's infirmary into an impromptu bordello. Doc stumbles in and seeing Jonas resourcefulness raises his asking price to a thousand. Jonas, wondering what the hell happened to his lookout, finds Jimmy completely distraught after being assaulted by some of the inmates. Moved by Jimmy's plight, Jonas makes him his new assistant. Because that's what he needs, a new job. Mm -hmm. Jonas gets into a high-stakes poker game and wins the thousand only to be jumped, beaten, and robbed by the losers. Bruised, bloody, and completely broke, Jonas returns to the prison to find Deputy Warden Picant ready to string Gretchen up while the warden is away at the county seat. By assuring him that the chair will be ready the next morning, Jonas gets him to relent. With time running out, Gretchen urges Jonas to try the local bank for the money. By whipping the bank's patrons into a patriotic fervor over war bonds, he convinces the manager to give him a loan. However, when the manager discovers that Jonas is an ex-con, he reneges. Jonas, in a panic, makes a play for the money. With the bank alarm ringing in his ears, he beats a hasty retreat retreat back to the prison to spring Gretchen, but the escape attempt goes terribly wrong. Several months later... The prison yard is packed with guards and witnesses as Jonas Candide is placed in the refurbished electric chair by Jimmy, the new executioner. Jimmy gets so excited as Jonas regales him with descriptions of the hereafter that he revs the generator way too high. When Jimmy pulls the switch, everything goes up in flame and smoke. As the smoke begins to clear, we glimpse an image of Gretchen and Jonas alone on stage waltzing. Gross. I was just like, I think I missed all the funny parts. It's nothing like here's, (laughs) I wrote the paragraph. I didn't see it. I'm like, this is not, 
Well, okay, because this is exactly the what I wrote afterward. I so this I wrote gross. There's a lot that's problematic to that story. Yeah, and I think that we can all agree it's in turn incredibly dark and then monstrously tome deaf. Mm-hmm. Though that might be just our own biased modern sensibilities yeah. coloring it. Twenty, it's like 21st century. This was like the 90s, and then it was right. like from where was it well, from this, the 70s? Exactly, 1970. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I think. It, 1970 was when the movie came out and this was there wasn't a huge difference between 1970 and 1990 as far as the masochistic you know um toxic masculinity yeah (laughs) um that was in play i i do suppose that like reading this two paragraph plot summary isn't an alternative to actually watching it play out in front of you so perhaps it would be different if we were actually like in the theater or it on the movie screen or on the stage right but I also yeah maybe like I was like is it in the way that it's played because listening to the synopsis it's not funny at all it's not but maybe in the way that things are played right and stuff it's it's has some comedy bits I think you're I don't probably know. right. I mean, and of you, course, the part I was getting upset about is like, of course, she's in a cage to be yeah. protected and right. the other way around, which is like the thing we're still dealing with is yeah. like, it's the woman's fault. So like she needs mm-hmm. to do X, Y or Z or we need to put her here so that right. she's protected instead of telling she gets the, the offender to, to like her... get their crap right. together and stop offending people. But OK, I'm done. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But like also, if you consider that then Jimmy was later assaulted and by assaulted, it's not just a beaten up. He's right. not just beaten up, right? Right. He was later assaulted. It it tells me that there is no, like no one's in Safe. charge of yeah. the jail. No. Like Jonas was just able to pay the warden who then turned a blind eye to him entering the prison, but then it's a free for all. Right. This is, and you know, it's based in 1918, so maybe things were a little bit different in the prison system back then. I don't think that it's not the way it works now. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they don't have women and men together, certainly. No, certainly not. It's, it's certainly not co ed. But then, of course, now we're dealing with a lot of like transgender people who are being yes. forced to put to oh, be you're put into right. right. And so that's a big issue. And then, you know, I, I mean, the, pr- the prison system is like super corrupt. Yeah. And well, it's privatized. Yeah. It's privatized. People, I mean, it's like modern day slavery. I mean, it's still pretty terrible. That so, I mean, it's not technically a free for all, but mm-hmm. basically is. I mean, yeah. it's, it has its own sort of like ecosystem and set of yeah. rules and everything inside. Right. That, that still, I mean, you know, people, it's not rehabilitation. No. That's. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, okay. I thought I lost you for a second because no, I'm here. <laughs> you just stopped talking. And I was like, oh, yeah. no. Okay. No, but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, so <laughs> let's get back. I'm like, is it based on Greek mythology? Because you're like the ambrosia hmm. part is like of the gods or something. No, it's absolutely not. I think okay. it's just the the word ambrosia. So there's a song that is sung the first time when Jonas is putting a man to death and to kind of ease him into his transition, the the inmate who's being um, 
killed uh, to ease him into his transition, Jonas is singing about the fields of ambrosia that he's going to encounter as soon as, you know, he's electrocuted. As soon as he get, he crosses to the other side, there'll be, you know, this, this wonderful heaven um, that he sings about. And he sings that reprise several times, including when he is about to be put to death as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I don't think it has anything to do with that other than the reference of ambrosia. And the mm. only, re- like, I only put that together. Like, that's my contextual mm-hmm. um, stringing together. It's not necessarily what they intended, but that's what I think. Okay. Uh, just from my own knowledge of what ambrosia is and has been. Does that make sense? Right. Yep, it makes sense. Okay. Um, there was an article written by Paul Taylor on February 2nd of 1996 for The Independent in England, he reviews this show with as much duality as I felt doing this research. Mm. The end of his article states, and I quote, the second half of the show left this critic weak and uh, weak with bliss as it trampled over good taste and political correctness like a herd of bullocks. One way it tries to stick up for the love, quote unquote, between the two main characters is to intimate that the prison is otherwise a hotbed of filthy perversion. A big butch warden, Mark Heenahan, who is Jonas' violent rival for Gretchen's favors, evidently consoles himself with impressionable male convicts. This is why I kind of mentioned that it's incredibly dark. Yeah. I'm sorry, this was my voice poking in. There, I, I can't imagine any of this being portrayed in a black comedy, in a musical on stage in the early nineties. Like none of this is like making any sense to me, which is why I think it probably was portrayed much more on the comedy side of things. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you, and I always consider Sweeney Todd as, as one of like the, the, the epitome of a black comedy, right. Uh, This I'm not sure would have been as successful as Sweeney Todd was in that way because but but also i mean i feel like we as a society or at least a a good portion of us have become much more awakened to the idea that any kind of sexual assault Mm -hmm. uh, or corruption manipulation Mm -hmm. sexual or otherwise and in this case there's definitely this comes in 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 huge amounts especially where Gretchen is concerned because whether or not she actually committed a crime and we never find that out whether or not she is guilty of murder she certainly does not deserve to be manipulated and extorted and blackmailed and then made to feel like she the only path she has forward is to do whatever the man says yeah so but that was the early 90s. And I think mm-hmm. it is, you know, it, unfortunately, it is a little bit different. S- sexual perversion was the butt of the joke at that time. Yeah. It, it yeah. Right. It well, um, what is it? Rape culture? Yeah. 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 You know, it's the boys will be boys kind of scenario. Yeah. And that's giving excuse to, to men's behavior. But in the entertainment side of it, Mm-hmm. It was always the kind of the butt of the joke. Yeah. 
that kind that kind of power that if you, if one had authority over the other and this and this was playing out that was always made to be funny you know yeah. it was it was never i think now we we make it a much more dramatic thing in in the tvs and movie and whatever else that you're doing but at the time i don't know that's just i mean that's again just my two another another two cents <laughs> But it's trying, you know, trying to make some, yeah, trying to understand, understand it, just like piece together what it is or could have been. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I guess we, you and I, when we're doing these shows kind of do have to, yes, put our own modern take on things because that's our experience. That's right. our lived experience. But we also kind of have to go back in time and say, well, in 1993, what would have been the climate? What, yeah. you know, what would have been acceptable that is absolutely not acceptable now? Right. Which doesn't make it right. It just makes it more understandable when you're kind of reading the outside, from, reading from the outside looking right. in. And right. It doesn't, we, we agree. It doesn't make it right. We're not saying this is okay. We're just saying this is why it happened. Right. I mean, and there is more to this independent article, but it seems like Paul Taylor's take on it does, I mean, he says that he was kind of, you know, um, oh, what was his wording? Let me find it. Oh, sorry. I lost it. Um, something about bliss. Yeah. Uh, that's what the opening he said. Yeah, bl- this bliss. critic was weak with bliss, mm-hmm. but it, but as it trampled over good taste and political correctness. Yeah. So even he is kind of Jekyll and Hyde in this article. Right. And I feel like even he is saying, you know, looking at it from the outside in and seeing the story, it's one thing, but then what we're told to think about it is a completely other thing. Yeah. So he goes on to say, Paul Taylor in this article goes on to say, Mark Joseph's scrawny young mortician, a signal failure with women I don't know what that means. That must be like a, a British saying, mm-hmm. but it means that he just wasn't good with girls. Mm-hmm. Finds himself raped by two prisoners. And he says, if it ain't one thing, it's another, oh which gosh. inspired the opening line of a subsequent song about the family deprivation that has made him this isolated victim. So I think it is trying to kind of just, you know, it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to give, right, oh, completely. But I think what the musical is trying to do is not give any gravity to those consequences at all. So it's like, okay, yeah, that happened. But oh, if it ain't one thing, it's another, you know, it's just, it's awful. Wow. Rarely you feel can loneliness have been quite so stage struck as you listen to Mr. Joseph hollering alone, all alone. Certainly his is as decibel rich need. Oh, his is a decibel rich need that would empty rooms with some rapidity. Often very funny in its own right. The show has a number of moments where it seems to be tone deaf in its own ridiculousness Mm. to sing about letting sleeping dogs lie. When you have a comatose rat on the operating table, as Michael Fenton Stevens, whiskey doctor does is to throw the cat among the pigeons sense wise. With high voltage performances all around, though, and a strong, so bad it's good factor, this show makes a pretty sunny vacation from seriousness and propriety. So it's interesting. I mean, it's such like a, it's, 
it's so two sides of one coin where you can only look at one side or the other. So it's like, it's either really dark and really weighty, or it's just kind of like making fun of itself and ridiculous. And this is, you know, I don't know. It's, it's so difficult to kind of get a read on it. Um, another review, and this is from ilsay.com, which is mm-hmm. the one that I mentioned before. So ilsay.com, I believe is a review of cat of albums of like CD albums. Okay. Um, so this is a review of the CD cast recording of the fields of Ambrosia by David Spencer. And it was in 1996. So right when the CD came out and the show was on, uh, on the stage. It says the Fields of Ambrosia is a musical that has had a long, tough road to earn its imminent London premiere on January 31st at the Aldwych in the West End. But it has the advantage of a solid, successful regional production behind it at New Jersey's George Street Theater Playhouse, excuse me, George Street Playhouse in 93. A clear vision of what it wants to be, a rich Americana type score that maintains a savvy contemporary sensibility, a terrific story, and one of the best, most underrated leading men, and also on a personal note, one of the nicest fellows in the business, Joel Higgins, wow. who interestingly enough is also author of the book and lyrics. From the press release, uh, quote, set in rural Louisiana in 1918, the fields of Ambrosia tells an extraordinary love story. Jonas Candide, a formal carnival con man, former, sorry, former carnival con man, falls head over heels for Gretchen, the most alluring woman he's ever met. But there are complications. Jonas is now the state executioner and Gretchen is destined to be his next client. As the clock ticks down the days, Jonas schemes to set her free before he must carry out her sentence. What's exciting about the thumbnail description is how immediately the situation and the leading character are both human and larger than life. What's unfortunate is that the album's jewel box pamphlet only contains lyrics, no notes or plot summary. And I'm not sure the parameters of the tale are quite clear from the album's 16 or so minutes of material. Mm -hmm. Not on the first listening anyway, though repeated listenings may begin to paint enough of a picture. I agree with that. Like, so Mm -hmm. I had this CD and this was one of those times where I went into the music store And I was looking at all of the covers and I was picking them up and reading the back and Fields of Ambrosia was one of those that I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. I'll get Mm -hmm. it. But when I open up a CD, I take out the libretto and I open it up and I read through all the pages. And if there's lyrics, I play the CD and I read along with them. And Mm -hmm. if there's the plot synopsis, synopsis, I will read through that as well. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't have it, then I agree with what this guy is saying, where you're just kind of a little bit lost until you fill in the context for yourself. Mm -hmm. But after reading the synopsis or the plot summary from before, uh, I, I would almost be even more confused (laughs) and I don't know how I felt when I first read it because I would have purchased this back in perhaps even at the time that it came out because it would have been while I was in high school so it would have been 94 95 somewhere in there maybe a little bit later than that um it it, anyway so he goes on to say (laughs) I'm gonna I'm just doing a lot of tangents this is fun (laughs) 
The music has a nice Americana sweep to it, and the lyrics mm. have the ring of storytelling musical theater in the Rodgers and Hammerstein tradition. However, the sensibility remains contemporary. Stylistically, Higgins and Silvestri are certainly influenced, but they're not beholden. Mm. Because the lyrics are so easily demotic and countryfied, their wit is more subtle than surface. One can smile indulgently at the Carney Barker's assurance that in fields of ambrosia, everyone knows ya. But upon repeated listenings, you realize just how subtly persuasive Jonas can be when he's not cagily rhyming and simply choosing the right image for his pitch, for the job, for the setting, and for, indeed, the location of the show. Uh, some of the lyrics also state, and you sit by a crick and go fishing forever, or no worries at all, except maybe that nectar or what nectar to drink. So these are, this is the way that he, um, Jonas was painting what the afterlife was for these men that he was about to electrocute. Mm -hmm. The performances are as persuasive as the material. There could not be a more charming hustler than Mr. Higgins, nor a more alluring death row prisoner than Miss Andreas, who shares with her leading man the dubious distinction of being underrated, underused, and underappreciated. I will absolutely agree with that. <laughs> but maybe the fields of ambrosia will change all that. <laughs> oh, that didn't age well. <laughs> Ebony, I don't know why this never made it to Broadway. There was no scandal. There wasn't even a flop as far mm -hmm. as the critics are concerned. And it was always meant, I think it was always meant to be a limited run in New Jersey, mm -hmm. but not in the West End. And I couldn't understand why it didn't move forward. That is <laughs> until I read another article. <laughs> oh, great. I know. This was on the sandpaper.net written on, on September 8th, 2022. Oh, wow. By Rick Mellorup. That's right. 16 days ago, as I'm recording. Amazing. <laughs> I know. So apparently there's a production happening right now through September 25th at the Surflight Theater in Beach Haven, New Jersey. Oh, wow. In that article on the sandpaper.net, it says, the George Street production was a big one with a cast of 22 and multiple sets, thanks to the use of two turntables. Sylvester and Higgins didn't want to shrink it to off-Broadway size, but a Broadway show would have cost $8 million, according oh. to Sylvester, and only $4 million could be had. Yeah. So they decided to make it an end run and took the show to London to the West End's Aldwych Theater in 96, again starring Higgins and Andreas. English audience uh, were not sold, and the show closed after just 23 performances. Mm -hmm. Sylvester said... It was too American for England. And the poor British reaction put the fields of ambrosia on the shelf. Uh, Sylvester goes on to say, we moved on to Johnny Guitar, um, which was another show that he and Joel Higgins wrote together, which was an off-Broadway hit that they had won the Outer Critics Circle Award as off-Broadway's best musical in 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, Surflight's producing artistic director Steve Steiner had been in the cast of the George Street production, oh, wow. and he never forgot the musical. So he got together with Sylvester Higgins and Andreas, and the result will be the third ever production of The Fields of Ambrosia. Does that mean, though, that it make that like it may make a play for Broadway? I guess only time will tell, because the internet didn't. <laughs> But how? To make it to Broadway, you mean? Because I mean, we're it would, it would just, now 
Yeah. Like it's the 21st century. Like this, like exactly what we're talking about, how, okay, 90s, 70s, 1800s, totally different sensibilities in 2022. Right. So what are they doing about it for the 21st century audience is what I'm really interested in understanding because like, how is it doing there? I mean, the 25th is, you know, next weekend. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, as of when we're recording this. Right. And so I'm very confused in, in, in the synopsis that we read, how, 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 yeah. Well, and again, I think there's just, there's going to be confusion on our part because we haven't seen it and mm-hmm. there's no way to really know that it's truly problematic unless you see it. Right. Cause Was there an, there's not I couldn't even get my yet? hands on a script. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I couldn't find any way, but I didn't okay. do a deep dive on that. I would imagine that the answer is no. Um, who knows? I, I didn't check out the Surflight. Um, it's surflight.net, I believe, or surflight.org is the theater where it's performing right now. I didn't check them out to see, like, I didn't, I should say, I checked out the page of Fields of Ambrosia. It didn't immediately seem like there was video or pictures of it. But I, again, I didn't dive much further than just that page. Um, it would, ha- I mean, from our perspective, just having read what we've read, it would have to have an overhaul. Yeah. The, the vantage point and the focal point would have to drastically change. But I don't think it's beyond it. Like, I, you know, if you look at a movie like The Green Mile or Shawshank Redemption, those two are also very dated in that when they came out, it was the early nineties and it was the same kind of content, uh, you know, in, in prison with a lot of the stuff that was happening in prison that we of course didn't believe until most recently. Um, but as, uh, you know, as they have aged, we've been able to go with them, right? There's nothing so overtly, um, problematic or disgusting in watching those that you can't be like oh yeah that's a good movie do you know what I mean yeah I don't I Mm, again I tried to I know I know (laughs) I know and listen you can take everything I say with a grain of salt because I kind of do too I mean I'm not trying to convince anybody at this point um but the movie and I tried to find the movie the way that you can watch it is to rent it on iTunes the um, traveling executioner the movie mm-hmm. um, I did not have time to do that today yeah I'm thinking about possibly doing it in the future we shall see um, but it's interesting to know what they did with the movie because if the show is slightly different from the movie then perhaps you can go back to what the movie offered and it would be more in line with something that was palatable for today's sensibilities yeah but There's, i don't know on um newjerseystage.com there are photos from the surflight theater's production of the mm. fields of ambrosia great those were pa- posted on uh, 911 okay and that's NewJerseyTheater.com? NewJerseyStage.com. Stage.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. I mean, it, it, I see, 
from the pictures, I can see the comedy. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like it's not, it's really not played with any um, seriousness, but the synopsis is like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was not fun. (laughs) Um, at all. No. So I have not listened to Mm-hmm. CD since I bought it in the early night or maybe even late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't again, didn't get a chance to do that today while I was doing this, um, episode, but it also could be that listening to it gives an air of comedy over the darker story. Maybe, maybe I just can't get over. It's just like people getting raped. Yeah. How, how, yeah. I'm str- I'm struggling. Yeah. Uh but that's <laughs> I mean that that's the the part I'm finding fascinating A is it, that somebody's doing it right now as we speak. Yeah. Well, the thing is too, um, I mean like if you read all of the critics they were all like this was great. This is a good show. <laughs> Some of them were conflicted as far as some of the things, but like no one was overtly like, this is a terrible piece of crap. And it's the worst thing since, um, I was going to say sliced bread. (laughs) I was thinking since Carrie. There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's better than sliced bread. Yeah. However, and so, you know, (laughs) going from that, it does make sense that, that it may be a good enough show to bring back. I don't know though. Here, I'm looking at the photos now. You're absolutely yeah. right. It's, it's very. It's, it's broad. It's played it's broad, very yeah. broad, right. It, it's musical comedy at its best. You've got these dance numbers and people's faces and, and attitudes are all very large and mm-hmm. out there and, you know, over the top. We'll put a link in the show notes, Geeks, so you can see the photos. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, I'm, I'm, it's funny because I'm thinking about Pretty Bell. Oh, yeah. As you're talking about this and, and the next episode we'll record has definitely has a strong connection to pretty bell yeah well here's the difference though and i i maybe this is the difference Mm -hmm. pretty bell was telling the story of the tragic woman from the tragic woman's point of view right right and and audiences at that point wouldn't have wanted that right Mm -hmm. i mean we're just getting to a point where where people are starting to listen to women in just a day-to-day life right Right. and so like you know entertainment-wise theatrically they probably scoffed at it. They're like, uh, I mean, Angela Lansbury is great and all, but do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. This isn't about, this is told from the, the man's point of view mm-hmm. who is doing the killing. So if he's the one that's telling the story of the show, then of course he's going to kind of gloss over the bits that, that paint him in a, in a bad light. Yeah. That is so fascinating to me too. <laughs> <laughs> it really is truly fascinating to me to kind of like, and this is where, this is why I love storytelling. Yeah. And this is also why I love kind of dissecting 
stories after they've already been told for a good amount of time because like there are so many things that come into receiving a story and it would have been very black and white at the time that it was told the first time but over time so many more colors have been entered into the mainstream into the into the perception of the people that are listening to the story so it changes the story right like then that's just generally speaking i'm not even saying for this story i'm just saying like overall that's that's what happens we as individual people and as collective communities of people we grow up we get more experience we have lived and learned and now look at things a different way so a movie that i saw as a kid is going to be a completely different movie when i watch it as an adult right, and that's right. that's that's the human existence right that's the kind of a fascinating thing as well i lost my train of thought ebony <laughs> <laughs> you know like musicals yeah. about oh, oh that's what i was men. gonna say <laughs> thank oh, you okay mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so my point in saying all of that was that you've got one story that can be told from the points of view of however many people that you want it to be told from right and yeah, it's a right. completely different story from each person right mm -hmm. and that is what's fascinating about it because like yeah. in this particular version jonas is the one that tells his narrative and he's the one that shares all the information he's the one that we've got to believe as an audience but what if it was told from the perspective of jimmy or mm -hmm. what if it was told from the perspective of gretchen and right. honestly now that i'm thinking about it Gretchen is a complete throwaway character. We don't even know if she actually committed murder. Like right. she's just this, we just see her in a jail. We are told that she's committed murder, but we don't know anything about her. I, although just for that, I would say, you know, I thought about Chicago and how mm. the innocent character has Honey said yuck. not guilty, not yeah. guilty. But the only reason we know for sure she's not guilty is because we see during Cell Black Tango that she has the white yes. handkerchief. Yeah. So, you know, and it, again, it's like that we didn't get to see it. So there's possibility yeah. like in the way that the story is told, we find yeah, out whether or not she did it. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that yeah. that's, and, and it could have, it, who knows if Christine Andreas wanted to play it different ways each night. Right. I mean, right. like that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the fun of that. But what I mean is like, you know, like every woman ever written in musical theater, she's two dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. He's not even two dimensional, really. She's just kind of like, I don't know. It's ugh, anyway. You, it's as you can tell, <laughs> I think we're pretty conflicted about this one also. We are. I think we're really like, trying to figure it out. Yeah, we are. I mean, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see the original yeah. source material and kind of like, you know, base my my actual opinion then on that once I've got all of the information, mm -hmm. but I, it's hard. Listen, I think, I think I've always been a feminist. Even when mm -hmm. I was very young, I was yeah. raised to be a, by both of my parents to be a strong and independent woman, mm -hmm. to be able to take care of myself because God forbid, if I was married and my husband died, like, what would I do that kind of, you know, that was what I was told by my mom. She's like, listen, your grandmother, her mother, um, you know, her, her husband, and she was talking about her own father in this. And that's, this actually makes me kind of sad now that I'm saying it out loud now. And she was like, you know, her husband 
basically left her on her own mm-hmm. to raise three girls. You know, he was living there, but he wasn't there, you mm-hmm. know? And so she had to work and she had to pay the bills and she had to make the budget and she needed to make sure that everything was taken care of on the day-to-day basis. Right. Uh, and so my mom with that kind of generational trauma intact kind yeah. of, you know, t- treated her daughters with that same information and said, listen, I don't want this to happen to you, but if it does happen to you, I want you to be prepared for it. And that's not a bad thing, right? Right. To be prepared to be, you know, I'm, I'm very glad that I was raised to be a, a strong independent woman and to appreciate the fact that I am a woman and not to let that be the, the thing that holds me back. Right. Right. right, right, right. I'm not going to let that happen. Now, as I've gotten older and as I have lost the ability to care what other people think about me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's even stronger. Right. Right. So it is very difficult to dissect that portion of myself when I am reading through new material. So books that I read are often colored with my own feminist ideals movies that I watch and TV shows that I watch are definitely colored from that vein of thinking. Right. Right. So in that respect too, that's another fascinating thing to kind of think about because you've got different perspectives telling a story, but you've also got different human beings taking that story and receiving it. Mm -hmm. And from one person to the next, it could be received in a completely different way. Right. And is perceived in a a completely different way. It has to be because it's based on your own lived experience. Right. Anyway, and this is just one of those stories that has a lot of triggers in it, I think. Yeah. For a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't either. I'm, I'm very curious how this one will be received. Yeah. I, you know, I found the article with the pictures. It might have mm-hmm. a review in there. I, you know, obviously we're on here now, so I don't have time to read it, but. Right. Um, like Can I, you imagine if we were just like, okay, give us a second. And yeah, it was we're just, just silence for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, we'll put the link in the show notes and yeah. um, they can, you know, geeks you know, can look at it. Yourself. I, and I, listen, I am always, I always suggest that you take whatever we say with a grain and of salt. And do the research yourself. And do the research, exactly. And and find out what you feel like on your own. That I think that is what the fun of theater is about as well. You know, it's meant, it's meant to be thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. This has certainly provoked a lot of thoughts in me and I think in yeah. you as well. Yeah. And I would imagine that it, it has sparked some thoughts in our audience as well. Let us know mm-hmm. if you want to yeah. share your thoughts you can reach out we'd love to hear we'd love twitter email you know how to do it yeah mm-hmm. yep um well so are we do you want to just quick wrap oh, yeah. up with the <laughs> the other oh, yeah. yeah yeah okay so and this is something that i missed and you did too which is kind of amazing to me yeah. i thought for sure you're gonna be like oh yeah i saw that Mm-mm. i was on facebook which mm-hmm. i am still on because i'm not on twitter it doesn't make any difference but anyway I was on Facebook and I was just kind of reading through and like all of my phantom friends were posting this thing this article that showed us that the phantom of the opera which has been running now for 35 years on Broadway it is the longest running show in Broadway history Mm -hmm. is going to be closing this upcoming February 2023 Mm -hmm. yeah 
I never thought this show was ever going to close. I know. <laughs> I know. That's yeah, I know. But I guess I'm really surprised. Totally surprised. I mean, I guess that's what they said about Cats as well. When of Cats course. was the longest running show and then it closed and people were like, whoa, I didn't think that was ever going to close. But like right. Phantom, because Phantom has been on Broadway almost as long as you and I have been alive. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like it could go anywhere. Right. Odd. I mean, it's just it's an so odd weird. feeling. And Juliet, my my friend, my best friend Juliet, who I met mm-hmm. doing the Phantom tour and who has remained my best friend since then, posted it as well. And she reached out via text when I had responded to her post, and she goes, "What do you, I? What do you think about this? I'm a little sad." And I went, "Yeah, I'm sad that such a long running show is going away. It's not going to mm-hmm. be there anymore." But I didn't know how to interpret my own feelings because for some reason it didn't feel personal. Well, right. But it kind of is. I mean, if you really kind of like, if mm-hmm. I look at the story of my life, mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera was a, a big part of my life. It got me my equity card. Mm-hmm. It started me off on my career in theater where mm-hmm. it was no longer just the regional stuff. I was like, I felt like I had finally, you know, taken a, this huge step into my career. Yeah. It is what got me to move to New York. Mm-hmm. It is really what got me to be more comfortable leaving the city and state that I was in. I was yeah. feeling real comfortable living in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I grew up on the tour. I got sweet pea while I was on that tour. Mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, doing Phantom of the Opera for four and a half years. So it is sad that it's not going to be around anymore. But I also kind of feel like it abandoned me. Mm. When that show closed, the tour suddenly, yeah. When closing. when our tour, which was the third national tour of the Music Box Company national tour, mm. when that show closed, it was almost like I didn't exist anymore. Mm. And I'm not really one to have a show as my identity, so yeah. I wasn't really affected by that as much as I was just like seeing some of the people that were on the road with me now moving into the Broadway cast. And I, you know, I wasn't thought of to do that. Like, and so then I was like, well, that makes me feel gross and icky. And I, I didn't want to feel that anymore. So I think I just kind of threw that away. (laughs) Yeah. Not my experiences because my experiences were still really amazing. I'm, I'm look, I mean, what is in front of me on my wall in my apartment in Astoria is a giant map with pins and string showing all of the different locations that I've been in the United States and also Canada and, um, just Canada, <laughs> not Mexico, mm-hmm. just Canada, um, of both the Phantom tour and the Wicked tour. I'm looking mm-hmm. right now at pictures of the show Phantom that I was in that, you know, the pictures are of me and the pictures are of the chandelier and the truck that we drove. And I've got, mm-hmm. um, you know, a squigs painting that was commissioned for us by Sean, who played Raoul when we closed that he gave prints to for everybody in the cast. And I'm looking at pictures and I'm looking at different, you know, sentimental items. So it's, it's not that it means nothing to me, but it does feel like I meant nothing to them. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that is still a me, it is still a me problem, but it's at the same time, it's hard for me to kind of 
feel any which way about the show closing on a personal level right. when that's how they kind of made me feel at the yeah. end. That's valid. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. This is good therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, truly to kind of talk this out. Cause it's not something, I mean, like I'm not looking in the mirror, talking through <laughs> all of mm -hmm. this stuff in my own head. So it's nice to be able to kind of put it out there and just to kind of speak freedom to it. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. I mean, it's, it is sad. I am sad that we'll be losing this mainstay, but it also kind of is exciting because now the majestic is going to be open. I know that's when my feeling was yeah. I'm sad because it's been open though. Like most of my existence mm -hmm. on the planet, but I got really excited about what else could be in there. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how I'm also sad. Cause like, I really, I, I shocked myself how upset I got when Hal Prince died. I yeah. didn't expect to have such a strong reaction. And so that like, this was the last, you know, thing we had of him that was like still going. Sure. You know, so, um, but I just, I have a real, I have a real strong excitement, even though, listen, I think I've been pretty clear about not being super excited about the musical theater coming this next season. <laughs> right. Um, still, I'm just, I'm, I continue to hope that we'll make good choices. Yeah. Um, well, so. you know, everything historically speaking is cyclical. Yeah. Yeah. So I have no doubt that we'll get back to the vein of like good storytelling. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of when. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, like I've said, there's some plays I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. um, um, I'm really excited about Ohio State murders. Like the yeah. more I sort of read about it, I'm like yeah. really, really pumped about that one. And, um, but the musical scene is. Yeah. It's a little anemic. Yeah. So, uh. That's it. We just wanted to give a little time to that announcement that yeah. as we recorded this came out the week this week. Right. So um, also tweet at us and, you know, add us on Instagram or email us about your thoughts and feelings about phantom closing. We'd love yeah. to to hear those as well. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, friends. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast, Theater Geeks Anonymous. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGABY and on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. And if you want to tell us how much you love us or you have a great story about one of the shows we've talked about, Drop us a note at TGABY at gmail.com. You can also support us by going to patreon.com forward slash TGABWAY. Until, Until next time, time geeks. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.